All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Guys, it is the Sunday we have been waiting for. Right? You guys know what today is? No. Guys, this is the Sunday we've been waiting for for over 900 years, as reported by CNN. It is, how do you say it, Nick? Palindrome Sunday. Guys, turn to your neighbor and say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What does that mean? Here's what it means. Here's the date. 02-02-2020 is the date of today. I don't know if we should be afraid or excited or what that means. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you what we're talking about today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles, Acts chapter 9. Continuing our journey through Acts. Uh, My name is Ronnie. If I have not met you, I am a a pastor here at Doxa, and then I lead Salt Company, which is our college ministry uh, of Doxa Church. And my wife, Caitlin, and I, we've got two little boys, Jackson and Hayes. And honestly, we've been here for about a year and a half. We moved here to help start Doxa. And being in Madison, being a part of this church family, we are making memories that we'll never forget. Memories that we will always look back on, like the formative years of our kids. Our our nine-month-old Hayes was born here. Jackson turned one when we moved here. And one of my favorite memories from last year was right around the time that Jack learned to walk and, and Halloween hit. So some of you guys that, that know us will have seen the pictures of him in his Scooby-Doo uh, costume that we put on him. And guys, it was, it was so fun because, you know, Jack, from as long as Jack's been alive, he's always been trying to do things that he shouldn't do at his age. He's always seen kind of the bigger kids and wanted to do what they were doing. And we're just kind of like, he's, he's kind of crawled at a pretty early age. We're like, man, like, is he going to walk by Halloween? Because it'd be so fun to get to go trick-or-treating with him. And literally like the week of, Jack decides to, to start learning to walk and he starts going around. And so that first time uh, of him walking and that first time of us trick-or-treating was so fun. He's in his Scooby-Doo costume and we had some neighbors that were all kids that were a couple years older than him, and so we just kind of jumped in right with them as we went trick-or-treating. And so you just picture Jack in his little Scooby-Doo costume and his little tail walking around, and, and Jack, being who Jack is, really wanted to just go with the bigger kids. And so it was just, it was honestly, it was cute, and it was hilarious to watch him just follow them around all night, and he, he just learned to walk. And so they're like running from door to door, and he's tripping and kind of falling in the snow, and his little butt tail thing is poking up, and we're having to go pick him up. And we have some great pictures of all the kids gathering around the doors to get candy, and Jack just like realizing, okay, so this is what I do, and holding it up. And he's always kind of last in line, but he just so badly wanted to be a part of the group, right? What, such a great memory that we had uh, in year one of being here. Um, Something that's going on there with Jack, though, is something that actually continues throughout the rest of your life. It's, it's the explanation of what happened to all of us in middle school. The reason that you went a little bit crazy when you were in middle school is the same kind of instinct that Jackson had uh, around those other kids. It's the same reason that I'm wearing this sweater here today. You guys, do you guys think this is a nice sweater? This is a horrible sweater. This is horribly uncomfortable and itchy, actually. It might look good on the outside, but I'm wearing it. Why am I wearing it? Because I want to belong, right? I want to belong. I want to be cool. I want to, I, want to be, I want to be in. And this is what the in, the in crowd is wearing these days. Here's the thing we're talking about today, guys. We're talking about outsiders and insiders and God. That, that drive that Jackson had to be a part of the group, to not be left out, right? To be a part of it, to belong. The, the reason that you did these crazy things in middle school, the reason I'm wearing this sweater is because we all have this drive, this desire to be not an outsider, but to be an insider. And what does that have to do with God? Who gets to be inside of this community that God is creating? That's what we're dealing with here in Acts chapter 9. And so if you look at, at verse 32, this is where we're picking up after, after last week. 
Basically, between verses 32 and 43, the, the camera in the, the movie that is Acts has shifted now to this guy named Peter that we haven't seen in a while, and Peter is walking in incredible power. Peter is an apostle, an early leader of the church. He's walking in incredible power, doing Jesus-like, miraculous stuff. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God in a way that is totally unique to, to this call that God had put on his life. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the true king. He tells this man named Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed, and he rises from his sickness. He goes to this woman named Tabitha who, is, who has died, and he says, Tabitha, get up out of your bed. And in both cases, there's a miraculous healing that takes place, and many believed in the Lord. So Peter, he's, he's walking in incredible power, just kind of doing his thing. But what we're going to see today, starting in chapter 10, is that there was a very important lesson about Christianity, a very important lesson about the gospel that Peter still needed to learn. As spiritually powerful as he was, so much more spiritually powerful than anybody in this room, right? He still needed to learn something crucial, something essential about the gospel. And so if Peter still needed to learn, so do we. So let's have our, our hearts and ears open as we read the story. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 10 and the beginning part of chapter 11, which tells this story of something that God did in Peter's life and this man named Cornelius' life. We're going to read the story together, and then I just want to draw out four implications of what it means for us as a church. So here we go. This is the story of, of Peter and Cornelius, starting in chapter 10, verse 1. This is Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And as he stared at him in terror, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so we'll pause here for a second. A couple things just noticed before we move on. Number one, Cornelius is not Jewish. Okay, he's what's called a, a Gentile, the Jews would have called him. So basically every other ethnicity on the nation that wasn't Jewish, they would have called them Gentiles. It says he's actually Italian. He's of this kind of Italian cohort, this Italian grouping of soldiers. Second thing is he seems like a pretty great guy, right? He's a family man. His family seems to follow his leadership. He's a military leader. He has soldiers that report to him. It even says that the Jewish people well respected him in the community. He's a family man. He's a great guy. Another thing about Cornelius is that he, he seems to be a spiritual seeker. Says that he's a devout man. Says that he's praying. This time that he's praying right here is kind of one of the set-aside set times that he would have been praying. It says he feared God with all of his household. So his, his spiritual search was so strong that the rest of his household was searching along with him and his soldiers. Says he gave to the poor. He was a spiritual searcher. But the other big thing we need to notice here is that God responds to his search. God gives him this vision, which is important for two reasons. Number one, it shows that God is sovereign, that God is not kind of waiting for all of us to figure out the mathematical equation to find our way to him, but actually he's looking down at humanity and he is sovereignly powerful, able to break into any of our lives at any moment. And number two, it shows that, that Cornelius must not yet truly know God, despite his spiritual search. Because God is breaking into his life, giving him this miraculous vision. And he says that this man named Peter is going to be the one to tell him this fuller knowledge of God. Okay? Continue in verse 9. This is Peter now. 
The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision might have been meaning, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Okay, so now we've got some kind of arrangement being made. Here's what's important to realize about Peter at this point. Number one, he's a Christian, right? We knew that from the rest of the book of Acts, right? He was, he was one of Jesus' early followers. Peter is a, a Christian. He's extremely devoted to following Jesus and proclaiming this new kingdom of God. He is a witness of that. The second thing, though, is that he's Jewish, Ethnically and prior, religiously, Peter is Jewish. He was extremely dedicated to a certain cultural and ethnic way of what it meant to follow God based on Old Testament Jewish law. And as we can see here, he's still kind of figuring out what all that means for Christianity. Next thing we notice is that God seems to be coming in and radically shifting Peter's paradigm. What God is doing here, he's basically telling Peter, from Peter's perspective, to to disobey his own religion. He tells him to eat this unclean food. And Peter's very confused about this. So whatever the connection is here, it must be very important. The whole key, if you look back at verse 14 and 15, is when Peter says this, he says, by no means, Lord, I, I, have, never eat, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. This is like intense religious devotion. Peter's like, this, this must not even be coming from God because for all my life as a, as a Jewish man, and even now as a Christian, my whole paradigm is that there's a certain way of relating to God, and it relates not eating these unclean foods. But the voice came to him again and said a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. So Peter does not understand what this is. God is clearly breaking in to shift his paradigm in some ways, and all centers around this clean, unclean, or common food thing. And so here's, here's what this stuff means. If you're not super familiar with the Old Testament, one of the things that was going on in the Old Testament is that God had chosen this group of people that would be called the nation of Israel. And one of the ways that Israel would look different from the rest of the world was through some external markers, okay? The way that they practiced following God was they would not eat certain foods, they would be circumcised, they would practice the Sabbath. These were visible ways that the people around them could say their God is different. So it wasn't, it wasn't even all bad. It was actually a way for Israel to say, we worship the true God. He has called us to look differently so that everybody else who's watching from the outside end can see that we are living differently. We are God's special chosen people. We are the insiders. And all of this has something to do with God bringing Peter and Cornelius together to teach them the lesson, but Peter doesn't quite know yet. He's sensing that something's going on, but he listens to God 
And he decides to go visit Cornelius. So let's look at that part now, starting in verse 23. So on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together and all of his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked for you, why have you sent me? And Cornelius said this, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord." So you'll notice here that Luke, who wrote this account, Luke, who, who knew this story, decided he's writing it in a very intentional way, and he reiterates the part where Cornelius is now sharing about the vision from God again, again, to show that this meeting has been arranged by God. This was not Peter's idea. Cornelius wouldn't have known what to do. Like, everything that's happening here is something that God is trying to make happen. Peter's still wrestling with what God meant by the dreams, but he knows it has something to do with not calling any person common or unclean. Cornelius asks him what he knows about God, and then Peter opens his mouth to start sharing the gospel. Peter, does, Peter doesn't completely know what God is getting at here. He just knows that he's supposed to look at these people, these people that are Gentiles, these people that are, that are not like him, and he's supposed to tell them what he knows about God, what he knows about Jesus, what he knows about this gospel message. So in the next section, that's what we're going to see is him presenting the gospel. Okay, Here's what I want you to look for. Look for in Peter's gospel presentation how he talks about God no lo- not categorizing people the way that we do. God doesn't seem to put people in the same types of categories. Look for that. Look for his emphasis on the gospel coming to Israel first through Jesus, but then it was something that the surrounding nations kind of heard about. Everything, that, everything happened in Israel, the life, death, resurrection of Christ happens in Israel, but the surrounding nations are kind of always looking in, hearing about it. And then the last part I want you to pay attention to is notice how he connects the events of the gospel the life, death, resurrection of Jesus with a specific group of people called apostles who had a job to take that message to the world. And he specifically uses this word, everyone. Okay? If that's a lot to take in, I basically just repeated what he's going to say. So follow along with his little gospel presentation here. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we, so he's talking about the apostles here, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people. So so only these apostles and these early followers saw him first, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now look at the turn here, verse 42. And he commanded us 
to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets, the whole Bible bears witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter is still proclaiming this, while Peter is preaching the gospel, it's almost as if God, remember, who arranged this whole meeting, he's, he's looking down and he's like, okay, okay, you gotta say that thing, say that thing, and then boom! While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter, Peter hasn't even finished his sentence. He hasn't even finished, he hasn't even told them about like, okay, so you need to believe in this Jesus, you need, you need to repent. The Holy Spirit just falls. In verse 45, it says, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on people that weren't Jews. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, he just, just looking around at what had just happened. He knew he played a part in it. He knew he did not play the decisive part in it. And he declares, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So while Peter is preaching, before he even finishes, God just saves these people. And quite literally, people that Peter walked into and says, you know, like, I shouldn't even be associating with you. I don't, I don't quite understand this. Like, you are, not only are you, are you strangers, but I'm like afraid of getting contaminated by you because you're not a part of God's chosen people. For some reason, God told me to be here with you. And by the time he leaves, they are his family members. They are now related to each other by the blood of Jesus. This is like a, a mini Pentecost, which is what happened in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit just comes and falls on first the Jewish people that had kind of traveled back to Jerusalem for this pilgrimage. And now what we're seeing God do is he's starting to have the gospel break out, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles, to everyone. The last little piece of the story is Peter having to now go and report this to the Jewish people, report this to the church. So look at verse, or chapter 11. We're not going to read the whole thing. He says, The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so Peter went up to Jerusalem. The uncircumcised party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? So Peter goes back. He has to report about what happened. And there's this group of people called the circumcision party, which was, they were the, the most devoted to these external markers, these external boundaries that would mark an insider versus an outsider. And they're, they're mad and they're confused. And what Peter goes on to do in verses 4 through 14 is he basically tells them, like, guys, I didn't completely know what was going on either. This is just what happened. This is what God did. He says, God gave me a vision in verse nine. And he said, don't call certain people clean or unclean anymore. I call people clean. And then I had this visit with Cornelius. He says this in verse 15. And it says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So he's just recounting these events of what God did. And then here's the punchline of the whole text. This is the, the last couple of verses for us. This is the summary of the lesson that God needed to teach Peter and the church and us. Look at verses 17 and 18. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Who was I to stand in God's way? To the Gentiles also. Here's the, here's the point. Here's, here's what Peter needed to learn. Here's what we need to learn. God has spoken. The gospel is for everyone. 
The gospel is for everyone. You, and everyone, anyone can be an insider into God's family. And for some of us, that might seem like a total just no-brainer of like, oh, well, yeah, and we live in a very tolerant culture right now. At this time, that would have been scandalous. But I even want to push us to say that that statement, the gospel is for everyone, actually has to go deeper in us than we might have ever thought. And so what I want to do is just take four implications of that statement. The gospel is for everyone and what that means for us here in Madison, Okay. Number one, point number one, the gospel, underline gospel, is for everyone. The gospel, that's the emphasis. So first, it's the gospel that everyone needs. Everyone can receive it, but there's only one gospel. There's only one. And in this way, Christianity is radically exclusive, radically exclusive. There is only one way for people to be saved, and it's God's way that he made through Jesus, as he saw the gap between humanity and God, he made a way, and there is one way, and his name is Jesus. So the whole point of God's intervention here in this story is that Cornelius needed Jesus. Cornelius needed Jesus, and the other point was that Peter needed to learn that it is Jesus, not his Jewishness, that makes someone a Christian. And here in Madison, guys, it's Jesus and his gospel that everyone needs. So it's not enough to be spiritual. Cornelius was a deeply spiritual man. It says he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He was generous to the people. He prayed continually to God. But guys, it's not enough to be spiritual. He feared God. It's not enough to have an awareness of the transcendent. It's not enough to even be on a sincere and genuine search for a spiritual transcendent being because a spiritual transcendent being that can save you is a very specific personal God not a vague spiritual idea personalized to you. It's not enough to be spiritual. You've got to actually meet God. And so this is why Peter, when he's presenting the gospel to Cornelius, he says, Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the one. One. Number one. Jesus is the one. We're all created by God. We all live and we die in God's world. We all have to give an account for our life. And he says that God appointed Jesus to be the one who will judge the living and the dead. And the reason we talk about this and we use the word gospel, good news, is here's the crazy thing. Jesus will judge you righteous before God one day, despite your sinful life, if you believe in him. We will all face God. We will all have to give an account for our life, but Jesus' offer to you is that I will be your savior. I will be your way of salvation. I will actually face your judgment for you on the cross and grant you eternal life. When you stand before God one day with an account of your search for a transcendent God and know Jesus, you will have no salvation. But my offer to you in your spiritual search is actually find me. Find me. I am the one. I am the way. So it's not enough to be spiritual. You have to actually get specific and meet God and the one that he has appointed, Jesus. It's also not enough to be religious. Peter was a Christian who thought eating certain types of food made him clean. He still kind of had this way of thinking, and the circumcision party was even stronger in this. They thought it was Jesus plus religious practices that gave them salvation. But guys, it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be devoted to specific church or religious practices because, listen, here's, here's the reason. All of those things are external. Okay, all of those things are external, and they do nothing to transform our heart internally before God. 
We know this, right? It's actually, it's actually incredibly easy to hide a rebellious and sinful heart behind a bunch of external religious actions that everybody can see. It's incredibly easy. So our religion won't work. And that's why the story ends with this summary of the gospel, okay? God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the gospel. This isn't religion. Repentance is an inward heart change. An inward heart change. It's not external. It's inward. It's your heart being transformed. It's a change that only God can bring. It says that God granted repentance that leads to life, a new life that can begin to follow God. And this is, this is guys, this is what God does for us in the gospel. He goes in and he gives us a new heart. We trust Jesus for salvation and he grants us repentance. This is the explanation for, for any of you that are in this room that are a Christian of where all these desires and affections for God came from. God gave you a new heart. It wasn't enough to practice religion. It wasn't enough to grow up in church. You had to have an inward heart change, and it's something that God grants. And the good news is that he loves to grant repentance to people. The last one here is that it's also not enough to just be a good person. Cornelius was a great man, right? He, he had a family man, a leader. He had people that reported to him. But God sent Peter to tell him about the forgiveness of sins that comes only through believing in the name of Jesus. Because, guys, goodness is, is relative. It's relative to one another. When we say that I'm a good person, we're not comparing ourselves to God, but we're comparing ourselves to each other. And so it actually is valid in that relative sense. But the comparison that ultimately matters when we're talking about our souls before God is our comparison to him. And when it comes to comparing us to God, there is none. Because he is holy we are unholy. He is perfect. We are imperfect. We have rebelled against him. We are sinful. But the gospel is the good news that God can forgive. The gospel is the good news that even though we aren't good people, Jesus, he, he takes our place. He lives a perfect life on our behalf. He dies a death on the cross for our sins so we can be forgiven by God. He forgives us. If you're banking everything on being a good person, you're not looking for forgiveness. You're saying, I'm, I'm hoping I'm a good enough person in the end. Guys, so it's not about being a good person. No amount of relative goodness can blot out any of your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. So implication number one, the gospel is for everyone. There's only one gospel because there's only one way to God. There's only one way that God could have saved sinners by dying in their place. And for that, he sent Jesus. This was like the singular message that Cornelius needed to hear that his whole family believed in. So the gospel, it's a radically exclusive message. But listen to this. It actually creates a radically inclusive community. Gospel is a radically exclusive message. Jesus alone can save sinners. But what the gospel creates, the type of people it creates, is a community that is actually radically inclusive. Anyone can get in on this. So that's implication number two. The gospel is for everyone. Underline everyone. Emphasize everyone. The gospel is for everyone. And we need to hear this because as much as we are tolerant in a sense, we always drift the opposite way. The lesson that, that God is teaching Peter and the church and us today is that everything in human nature is going to pull us in the opposite. We love to create exclusive insider groups. We love that. That's what people do. 
Whether it's because you worked hard enough at your talents to be like the one chosen to be on the team, we love that. We, our, our human pride loves to be on the inside because of what we've accomplished. In a more dark way, our human pride loves to take credit for things that actually had nothing to do with us that we never chose, like, like the color of our skin. We love to be on insider groups and look at people that are outsiders. Human culture, the human story, could really just be summed up as this big mass of exclusive communities of insiders. That is the natural drift in every human community, and that was the tension in Peter and in this circumcision party, the impulse that came out in, in that, that chapter 11 when they said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? You went to those people? You, you went in the same space with them? You let those outsiders be with you who is an insider? Because Gentiles were not of the right ethnic lineage. They were outsiders to the promises of God. They were labeled as unclean by the Jews. But Peter's reply to them shows that God is reshaping his thinking. He says, hey, what God has decided is clean, I do not call common. It is cleanness that God requires to be on the inside. And cleanness has nothing to do with what you look like or what your skills are or what your talents are. What Peter is learning here is that cleanness is something that God does to you. Cleanness is something that is internal. Cleanness is letting God clean you from the inside out. That's how you become an insider. You get a clean heart from God. Has nothing to do with what you look like. Has nothing to do with your, your sense of fashion. Has nothing to do with your personality. Has everything to do with what God has done in your heart. And so here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Every group, every group, every community has a barrier that you have to climb over to get in. Sometimes multiple barriers whether it's a performance barrier or a barrier based on what you look like. Christianity is totally unique. Totally unique. It only has one barrier to entry. Christianity has one barrier to entry, and it's actually something that you have to climb under, not climb over. It's not something that's based on your performance that you have to be good enough to get over or find yourself born in the right way to get over. It's actually something that all of us, everyone, anyone can choose to climb under. God's way of making us clean is through a cross. The cross is the way in. Outsiders become insiders, not through talents or appearance, but through the humility of bowing low before the cross of Jesus Christ. So listen to this, anyone who will humble themselves before the cross can be an insider in the family of God. Anyone who will stop trying to clean themselves up to be a better person. Anyone who will, do you hear what I just said? Anyone who will stop trying to clean themselves up and in humility bow before the cross and say, I need that. I need that. This cross says something about my reality of sin and I need to bow myself before that. That person, that unclean, dirty person can be cleaned by God if they come underneath the cross. Anyone who will stop ignoring their uncleanness, anyone who will stop ignoring their sin by practicing a vague spirituality that doesn't actually demand anything of them or give them any direction on truth, anyone that will stop ignoring that and come to the cross and say, yes, this is the human condition. This is the explanation for evil and where it can go. There is sin in the world and it needs to go somewhere. Praise the Lord that it can go on Jesus. I'm in, I'm, going, I'm in, I'm coming in. Anyone who will humbly admit that their religious devotion is still stained by sin. Anyone who will come before the cross and say, this says something about my religious devotion too. This says something about all those years in church that I had mixed motives. I need forgiveness. Anyone who will be a sinner before Jesus and his cross can be saved by Jesus.
And therefore, anyone who can be a sinner before a Christian community can come in. Any false boundaries that we naturally gravitate towards building that are based on ethnicity or culture or personality or political affiliation or whatever, they must come down or we are out of step with the gospel. This is what Peter is learning. So this means a lot of things, but here's just like what it means for Doxa. The only obstacle for anyone in this city to come into this family should be the cross. That should be the only obstacle. And we have to work at this because in our sin, we gravitate towards making all kinds of other ways of like, you walk into the door and it's like, okay, so this is what it would look like for me to belong here. But just like Peter, we're always going to be tempted to do this because it's more comfortable to create a community that looks like us culturally and socially where everyone looks and acts like us. But we also have a great opportunity in a city like Madison to be a totally different type of community. There's a way in which this, this whole idea of what the, the gospel is for everyone, it, it both resonates and defies with Madison. Madison is a great city, but it's trying to have a gospel culture without Jesus. Madison is trying to create a place where we can be accepting and everyone can be included, but there's no, there's no cross for people to go under. There's always some barrier. The only thing that happens, the, the thing that happens every time is a wall of some kind gets built up. No matter what, no matter what community you're talking about, there is some wall, there is some barrier you have to get over. But guys, in the church, the church that is the radically inclusive community of Jesus, the only barrier, the low bar of the cross, anyone who will humble themselves under the cross can come in. And on the flip side, the only thing that keeps someone out is human pride. If in your pride, you are too tall to get underneath the cross, you cannot be an insider. You cannot be a Christian if you will not humble yourself before the cross of Jesus. The gospel is for everyone who is willing to do that. Okay, those first two were were pretty long. These last two are pretty short. Point number three, implication number three. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. This is something that Peter missed, and we'll miss it too. Everything I'm talking about, we'll miss it if our foundation isn't actually built on this point that I'm saying. Here it is. The vision of a radically inclusive community has always been the heart of God for the world. I'm talking about the purposes of God here. The gospel being for everyone is not just kind of some cool idea. This is God's heart. Listen to the story of the Bible. It tells us that God created the world. He watched humanity walk away from him in rebellion. This is called sin. And then as humanity began to populate the earth in their sin, he launched a rescue plan to get us back. His plan involved choosing this one man named Abraham who would that one day become the Jewish nation. And he made, him, he made them his set-apart people, his special people, not for the purpose of themselves, but for the purpose of the whole world. He chose to reveal himself to Israel so that they would reveal him to all the nations. This is God's plan throughout the whole Bible. It was a plan that centered on Israel, but never ended with Israel. It always had a direction. It always had a four. So when Jesus comes onto the scene as a Jew in Israel, he announced a new covenant, a new relationship with God that would now be about the whole world hearing the gospel. The gospel message of salvation that came from Israel was always meant to go to the world, to the Gentiles, to us, to everyone. So in verse 44, when the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, you just got to be, it's, it's the pleasure of God in that moment to say, finally, and remember, Peter's a Jew, 
Uh, these, these dummies finally, I finally did enough. I orchestrated these visions to finally get to the point where the Gentiles, everyone else could know about the salvation I've done in Jesus. And in verse 43, Peter preaches them and says, the whole Bible has been pointing to the fact that everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. So my point here is this. For Christians, for Doxa Church, the statement that the gospel is for everyone is not like this winsome, culturally sensitive marketing tagline. It is the heart of God. This has been the heart of God from the beginning. This is the heart of God right now. And so if we want to be a church, a people that's heart beats for what God's heart beats for, man, that was hard to say. If our hearts want to beat for what God's heart beats for, we've got to be about this, the gospel for everyone. Here's the last implication. He will have all people back to himself. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is not maybe for everyone or kind of for everyone, but in a very certain way, the gospel says God will save his people. The gospel is. It just is. God is the only being in the universe that can actually use that word is in a way that is totally unique because he's the one who always was and is and will be. And God, when he looked out before the universe had be created, he said, let there be light. Let there be planets. Let there be humans. Let there be a plan of salvation that will call them back to me. The gospel is the same voice that spoke life into existence is determined to speak new life into existence. And if you're just kind of skimming through the story, this is like the biggest thing you should actually see. It's just God being God doing what God does and telling the rest of us to fall in line. God orchestrates the meeting of Cornelius and Peter through these visions. He's coming down. God rebukes Peter and tells him, hey, if I say something is clean, end of story. This is about what I say. I know that this is counterintuitive to you, Peter, so I'm kind of gently teaching you this lesson, but what I say goes. If I say they're clean, they're clean. If I look at another human being and say they're forgiven, I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they came from. I don't care what their story is. I don't care if you're afraid of them. If I say they're clean, if I say Jesus' blood paid for their sins, it is finished. Let that be spoken over your life if you came in here today and you were kind of wondering, how could I ever be on the inside of the grace and love of God? God cuts Peter off while he's preaching and fills Cornelius' his whole family with his presence. And then in a great summary statement of the, this whole section, Peter says this, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I? If this is what God is doing, then, then who am I? Guys, God is, is granting repentance that leads to life to all people. Just giving out new hearts. Just looking at people and saying, you're mine. Changing people's stories forever. Who are we to, to stand in his way? Wouldn't it be better if we just fell in line with that vision? If we started getting our hearts beating for what God's heart beats for. So what we need to do now is just pray. We need to pray. One of the things that you'll see in Acts that is a, a, kind of like a mega theme in Acts and you see it in the story is just the sovereignty of God, the power of God to save you just see him doing miraculous things. That's why Acts is so full of miracles and visions. But the thing that you see happening kind of on the ground level is people prioritizing prayer. We have a sovereign, powerful God, and then we have people that were told they were supposed to be his witnesses that are prioritizing prayer. 
Did you notice that both Peter and Cornelius are praying to God when he intervenes and comes in and moves them? He just breaks in. So God's going to do his thing, but he wants to do it with us. And so here's how we're going to pray. Here's how we're going to pray. One of the things that that act should do is it should cause us to lift up our eyes to see God's sovereignty, but it also needs to, to bring us to our knees in desperation because he told us to be his witnesses. And I've just been a little bit overwhelmed of trying to figure out how do, I, how do I bring this story of Acts into my everyday life? And so would you close your eyes with me? I want to give you a space in silence here for a moment to just ask, that God, ask God that question. Here's the question, God, the gospel is for everyone. So what does that mean for me? God, you've spoken the gospel is for everyone. How are you calling me to be a part of that? God, like, like Cornelius and like Peter, we both, we've all just been going about our, our everyday lives and we walked in here today. God, and we set aside this time, 10.30 on Sunday morning, Sheraton Hotel, we set aside this time because some part of us wanted to meet with you. We wanted to be a part of what you're doing, not just what we're doing. God, we want to see you move. We want to know your presence God, we came here to meet with you, and so like them, we're calling out to you in prayer and asking you to do what only you can do around us and in us. God, what would you have for us? We trust your word. We see that it's true. The gospel is for everyone. There's one gospel. Your heart beats that it would be for all people. Our question for you is what would you have us do? What does that mean for us? God, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you that the only barrier to get in this room is the cross. God, as we sing and as we worship and as we take communion, would you change our hearts a little bit more? Would the repentance that leads to life be a more real thing in our hearts this morning? We pray this, God, in the name of Jesus, who is the only way that any of us can be saved, the only one who has grace, the one you've appointed to judge the living and the dead, the one with joy that we look to knowing that we will be judged righteous before you because of his blood. Amen. So guys, we're going to have a, a time to, to respond by singing and worship and to take communion. And communion is really fitting for us right now because communion, like you literally have to get out of your chair and decide like, do I belong with this or not? Like, should I take it or not? Like, it, it is a physical 
demonstrable act of saying like, I identify with Jesus and, and he identifies with me. So I just wanna to speak to, to two different types of people in the room to, to help you think about communion. If you are someone in here who is not a Christian, you are outside of the salvation of God. I want you to hear this morning that, that the only thing keeping you outside is your pride. The only thing that would keep you from coming up and taking communion and saying like, Jesus's blood is for me, is your decision to not humble yourself before the cross. The cross is the only thing between you and God. Go embrace the cross today. Maybe today is the day that salvation is yours, that the gospel becomes not just kind of for everyone as a concept, but for you. You can come forward and take communion for the first time today as, as a new creation in Christ. I hope that, that many of you do that. And if you're someone who, who already is a Christian and you came in here today, you're, you're an insider in the best sense of the word. And I want you to remember what that means. There is a real tendency for Christians for us to start feeling like we're insiders because we, we earned it somehow, because we're, we're different because of our own merits somehow, because we look a certain way or whatever. Guys, this passage is, is screaming at us that we were brought inside only by grace that this should be a place of, of humility. And, and maybe for you in taking communion today, you need to remember and repent of any pride that has snuck back into your Christian life. You need to remember that you only got in here by grace. And you need to have a renewed vision and confidence and humility and love for the world around you. So, so don't just take communion and check out, but take that bread and dip it in the juice and remember the blood of Jesus sacrificed for you and your sins. Why don't you guys stand to your feet? The stations are up here. And anytime as we're singing, you can come forward and take communion and find your way back in your room.